Hello, this is Miss Leslie Barker, the pastor's wife here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining in today. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to your heart through His Word, and that this podcast will be a source of encouragement and a blessing to you today. Being here, and uh, it is uh, a blessing to be here. When Miss Leslie asked me several months ago, she asked me several months ago about doing this, and, and when she began to speak to me about that and what she wanted me to do, I thought, man, what can I say? It has been 25 plus years since we've had teenagers in our home. But I realize that you face things today with your teenagers. I realized that when she began to ask me about this, I began to think about it. I realized that you face things with your teenagers today that I didn't even know existed when my children were teenagers. Uh, the internet, I'm sure when uh, my children were teenagers, the internet was out there somewhere, but it certainly was not in our home. <laughs> And uh, cell phones, my children never owned a cell phone, had a cell phone in their possession because it was very few. I can remember the first cell phone that we got was when we were in missions. And it was called, we called it the car phone because you kept it in your car. And it was in this big old thing here and you set it in between your thing, you know, and it was only used for emergencies, you know. But now, probably every one of your teenagers have their own cell phone, but that didn't even exist in my day. I can remember the first time I saw somebody talking on a cell phone out somewhere. <laughs> Rebecca was married, and I had gone with her to Charlotte. She lived in Concord then, and I had gone with her to Charlotte to a Christmas show, one of the big coliseums we'd gone together, and there was a woman walking around in that coliseum talking on the phone, and I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Hell of, what is this world coming to? What's going to be next? So this is a big space between, uh, we didn't, Facebook? Who ever heard tell? My kids never knew. When they were teenagers at my home, you never had Facebook. Instagram, TikTok, all these things, I was never faced with that. But I also know that God's word has not changed. It's the same God and it's the same principles and the guidelines for, for raising our children. You had, That's today, it's the same as it was when my children were teenagers. God's word never changes, praise the Lord, about that. And although I feel very inadequate even to stand up here and try to tell you uh, how to raise, not, I can't tell you how to raise them, but give you some advice, I feel very inadequate about that because I realize that anything good that's become of our children, it's God. And I don't feel like that it's anything. I feel like that I've failed so many times as a mother. I look back over those years and I think, man, I should have done this different or should have done that different. And it's just the grace of God that our children are serving the Lord. And I feel very inadequate, but I do realize that this is a very crucial season of your life. This is a scary time in your life. And I know that Paul told Titus 
In Titus 2, 3, and 5, that the aged women, that's me, were to teach the younger women, that's you, some things. And one of the things he said that us older women were to teach the younger women is to love your children. Now, who would think, especially when those children, are you, they just hand them to you in the hospital, and they're cooing at you, and those, those who would think that a mother would have to be taught to love her children? Well, whoever thinks that has not had the pleasure of having teenagers in their home, right? <laughs> you have to be reminded, mother, you're supposed to love those children. So we're going to look into God's word today and see what God has to say about raising teenagers. I, uh, on your little paper that I fixed for you, I said, where did my baby go? And what do I do with her now that she's a teenager? It was just her, him, you've probably got, you've got boys. But I just use her, I think, because now I have all teenage granddaughters. <laughs> but anyhow, boy or girl, they're grown, they're, they're on their way, they're in the teenage years, and where did my baby go, and what do I do with them? Now, before we look into God's Word, I want to say that you will need to gird up your loins. Proverbs 31, 17 said, The virtuous woman, of the virtuous woman, she girdeth uh, her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. So do you want to know the barker? Jan Barker translation of that. I better clarify that, Hannah. The Jan Barker translation is that is put your big girl panties on. <laughs> Raising children and teenagers are not for wimps, and they're not for sissies, and it's not for those that are faint-hearted. I want you to remember, just like Miss Leslie said in the beginning, that children are a gift from God. These teenagers that are in your home right now, God put them there, and they are a gift from God. <clears throat> and uh, the Bible says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. I looked up that word heritage, and it has close to the same meaning as inheritance. And I thought, how precious the things that we inherit from our parents and our heritage, how precious that is to me. This diamond that I wear all the time was my mother's, and I inherited it from her. I was the oldest daughter, and so I got this diamond. I wear it proudly. I treasure it because it was my mom's. My mother gave it to me. But how much more should we treasure the gifts that God has given us? This is just a temporal gift here. I will never, when I die and go to heaven, this ring will not go with me. Nor anything else that I obtain in this world as far as worldly possessions. As a matter of fact, and I know you've heard it said more than one time, the only thing we can take to heaven with us is our children. So how much more? And God says that our children are a heritage. And, the, and the, the fruit of the womb is his reward. You are sitting here today because God has given you a reward of giving you fruit of your womb. I know that probably you know, I know 
women that would give anything to be able to have a child. I have my nephew's wife, um, my brother Scott, Joshua's wife, would give anything, has been praying for a baby, and I wish you'd help her pray. That if, I've been praying for her, and I've been reading through our um, book on prayer that our pastor got us. How many of you have enjoyed that? I love it. I love it. And um, you remember the, the chapter on Isaac, how that he prayed for Rebecca for 20 years before she conceived and had her children. And I pray every day for Amanda that God will open her womb and let her be able to conceive. They want a baby so bad. And uh, I reminded the Lord the other day, Amanda is... I don't know, she's up close to 30, I guess, now. And I reminded the Lord the other day, Lord, you've got to do before 20 years now. Amanda can't be 50 years old having a baby. But you're sitting here because God has chosen to open your womb and give you his reward, which is children. So when you the thought crosses your mind, I brought you into this world, I can take how many of you ever thought that? Now, just be honest. How many of you ever thought of these things? Just remember that they are God's reward. And ask God to help you remember that. All right. If I'm going to, I'm going to survive the teenage years with my children, how am I going to make it through the teenage years? And you, Miss Leslie has so kindly fixed you a handout. So if you've got a pencil, I hope you brought one with you. Number one, there must be a plan. If you're going to survive the teenage years with your children, there must be a plan. God is a God of order. He could have spoke this whole world into existence with one word, but he didn't do that, did he? He did it in order. He did the the birds one day, he did the oceans and the water one day, he did the clouds and the stars one day. He's a God of order. He could have said, told Noah, I'm going to destroy this wicked world with a flood. I'm going to make you an ark. And the ark could have been done. But he is a God of order. And he told Noah how to build the ark, how big, how many rooms, how many stories. God is the God of order. When the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and God wanted them to, to make a tabernacle to carry with them from place to place, he could have done it like that, but he gave them orders. Make this a badger's uh, skin. This should be purple. It should be this dimension and that dimension. So God is a God of order. And so we as his children need to realize that we have to have a plan if we're going to survive this life, and especially these teenage years. I know that uh, we need to realize that your teenagers are going through uh, a difficult time themselves. They're going through hormonal changes and maybe peer pressure at school, a lot of times things that we don't even know about. But... Um, we need to have a plan to get through. You're going to have to have a plan to make it through these teenage years. In all reality, this plan should have been thought about and discussed nine months before this child ever came into the world. 
But maybe you were not saved then, or maybe you were like me. I was just so excited. I couldn't believe that I finally had a baby to bring home with me from the hospital. I think you probably all know my story, how that our first babies were a set of twins, and they both died twice in one day. I had a doctor come tell me, I'm sorry, Miss Barker, your baby is dead. And so six years later, Rebecca came along, and I was just so excited. I wasn't thinking about teenage years. I wasn't thinking about toddler years. I just held that little girl in my arms, and um, I wasn't thinking about that. But that's in the past. Now you're here at the teenage years. So maybe you've not started a plan, but you got to get a plan, girls, if you're going to survive the teenage years, you're going to have to have a plan. You can't do this parenting just off the whim of your mind. You've got to have a plan. It is a plan that you and your husband must agree on. You've got to work together. You and your husband have got to be in agreement and work together on this plan. Teenagers, children are masters at trying to divide you and your husband. And you've got to realize and know that it has to be a plan that you and your husband agree on. And you must remember, girls, your husband is the head of the house. And you may not agree with what he's saying, but if you have disagreements about this plan, you should discuss it in private and never in front of the children. You should never let your children know, your teenagers know, that they're coming between you and them and that you and your husband are standing together firm on this plan. There must be rules in this plan. You've got to have rules in your home. There's got to be structure in your home, and there's got to be rules if you're going to survive these teenage years. You are not your teenager's best friend forever. As a matter of fact, get ready. If you haven't experienced already, they probably are not going to like you very good sometimes. And they're probably going to think you're being just as mean as you can be. But that's all right because you are not their best friend. You are the parent, and you need to remember that. There must be rules. You are the parents. These are just a few rules that I thought of that I think is so important that um, you just have to do. One thing, you need to know where your teenagers are at all times, at all times. And see, you have much better, uh, you are better equipped for that than I ever was because my understanding is, I, well, let me tell you this, Rebecca called me the other day and she said, Mom, she said, I'm thinking about having something put on mine and Alan's phone, your and daddy's phone, so that I can know where you are all the time. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, I don't, that don't bother me. I mean, you know, we don't go nowhere. We, we don't go nowhere but the church. But 
she said, what if we was to need to know where you were? Are you? I said, just do it. So I found out you can do that to your teenagers. And definitely you need to do that to your teenagers so you'll know where they are. I also have learned that you can have it fixed from on your phone plan that um, you can read their text at any given time if you want to. And that's exactly what you ought to do. You may think, my little girl would never uh, listen to bad text or whatever. Well, you just, I'm telling you, you need to know where they're at. You need to know what they're doing all the time. You never trust your teenagers. Now, I know that you think, or you may think, or there are parents that think their children would never do wrong, but I'm sad. That makes me sad, not only for the parent, but for the teenager. Uh, you can't trust them. I'm sorry. You just can't. Um, let me give you an example for that, of that. I have a friend that uh, <coughs> she and her husband are saved. They're serving the Lord together now. But when she was a teenager, she got pregnant before she got married. Actually, the, the, the boy that got her pregnant is who she married. But, I mean, she had already had the baby. This, this child, this little boy, was in their wedding when they got married. And she told me, she said, this is how come this to happen to me. She said, I would tell my mama, her mom and daddy were separated. And she said, I would tell my mama I'm going over to daddy's house. And she said, mama never checked to see where I was. Mama never called and said, she's coming over there. And she said, I would tell my daddy, oh, I'm going over, over, back over at mama's house. And he never checked. And that's where she got in trouble. She said, nobody was keeping up with me, so I did what I wanted to do. They thought I was doing what I told them I was going to do. So you never trust your teenager. Uh, I had another pastor's wife tell me one time that uh, she would never go into her teenager's room and check things out because she did not want to invade their privacy. And I told her, my teenagers have no privacy at my house. As long as they're living at my house, our house, we're paying the bills, we're putting the food on the table. If they want privacy, then they can get their own place. But when they're living with us, I went into my children's room any given time. I had a uh, cassette, and I think Miss Leslie had used it on one of the podcasts one time, of Kathy Rice on Ruined Teens. And she said, you go in that teenager, I would listen to it. I'd get tired. I'd get weary. And I'm telling you, you get weary and you get tired. And I'd get tired and I'd get weary. And um, I'd think, but yeah, I'd, put the, I'd be cleaning my house. Boy, I was just cleaning, cleaning. And I'd put that, it was a cassette tape then. It had CDs in. And they put that cassette tape in and I'd listen to it while I was cleaning my house. And she'd say, 
You go in that teenage boy's room of yours and you look between the mattress and the box springs. And you check his room out and you go in that girl's room of yours, that teenage girl's room of yours, and you check every area of it out. She said, there are not many spiritual teenagers. And you know what? I found her to be true. And, uh, and that's not saying, I'm not saying your children are not spiritual, but I'm telling you, they're fighting these hormones they're fighting peer pressure. They're trying to fit in. They're wanting to do what maybe their other friends are doing. And it's your responsibility, yours and your husband's, to guide them in the right way. So you never trust them. You make sure you know where they're going. If they have account, I, I'm, I'm not even sure. I know for everything I do on the internet, you gotta do a password. Well, you should know your children's passwords so that you can look on their Facebook. One of the saddest stories I think I ever remember hearing, and I, some of you may remember, it's not been all that many years ago. There was a, a little girl, she's 13, 14 years old, in Virginia, I believe it was, that had got to talking to a, a college boy that was at Virginia Tech on the Internet on Facebook or whatever. And uh, he told her he was gonna come and get her and she got snuck out her bedroom window and he did come and get her, him and another girl, and they killed her and actually dumped her body off of 89 up here going between here and Galax. Well, they did a 2020 or 48 hours, one of them things, Alan calls that my show. He'll say, your show's on now. I like to watch, I, I do sometimes, but now I've got to where I think, Lord, how wicked people are. I don't need to see it. But uh, anyhow, they did a special. They did a 48-hour, 20-whatever it was, on that story of that, that little girl. And afterwards, they said, was telling parents, you should always know your children's passwords. But the sad thing to me was that this little girl, it showed in her room, had written her passwords on the wall in her bedroom. But her, her mother never took time to look on her internet, on her Facebook or whatever, to see what her little girl was doing. All she would have had to do was pull it up and see that that boy was being a predator to her telling her all these things and her little mind was just eating it up. So you should know your children. You've got to stay on top of your teenagers. You need to know their passwords. You need to know. I, I, I know that I'm old-fashioned and, and I'll, I'll die this way, I guess, but you know I don't see that your teenager should have access to the internet by themselves. You should guard that. You should be have parental guidance over that. Another thing that you should rule that you should instill in your children is that church and God has a preeminence over everything. That they may play sports and there's nothing wrong with them playing sports, but church is more important. And that um, if there's activities at school, that's great, as long as they're good, decent activities, but church is more important. When you let your children stay out of church, you let your teenagers stay out of church to play a 
on a ball game or uh, whatever, you're saying to that child, that's more important than God. <coughs> so uh, one, of, one of the rules should be that church <coughs> comes first. My children um, played some sports and stuff, but they never missed a church service for that. One time Rebecca was playing basketball and they had a ball game on visitation night. We had visitation every Thursday night at Turner's Creek and the ball, they were in a tournament and it was in Sanford and she had, they had a game that Thursday night during visitation. Well, I drove her all the way to Sanford, let her play as long as she could. She couldn't play the whole game. Let her play as long as she could, and we came back, and we was at our church for visitation that night. Now, you may not have to go that soon, but I'm telling you, you should say, teach your children that God and church and the activities of church are more important than anything else going on. The biblical plan is that children are to obey their parents and they are to honor their parents. We find that in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. And Colossians 3, 20 says that children are to obey their parents in all things. And if you don't enforce this in your child and your teenager's life, you are not being good to them. You are hurting them. God says this is our responsibility and no one else's. Now, if you have your Bible, some of you, right, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want to read you, I want you to read uh, just a few things, a couple of things, I want you to see a couple of things that every parent should do. It's part of God's plan Right here in his word is God's plan for us to raise and survive teenage years. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1 says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go in to possess it. The children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. <coughs> Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord, <laughs> as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, not anybody else, but you. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they, and they shall be as frontlet between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. Uh, 
this, these verses tell us two things specifically that every parent should do in raising your children. Let your children hear you talk about God. Not just at church. Uh, you know, you can fool the preacher, but I'm convinced after past, my husband pastoring almost 40 years, the pastor is not fooled nearly as much as you'd like to think he is. <laughs> you know, God lets him have an insight on things. But you might fool him, you might fool some of the people of the church, but I promise you, you'll never fool your children. Your teenagers know how real God is to you. So let your children hear you talk about God, not just at church, but when you're sitting in your house. That's what verse 7 says. When you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, when you're going to bed, and when you rise up in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Let your children hear you talk about God. Let them see that God is real to you and serving the Lord is real to you. Let your children, number two, let your children see your relationship with God. Put scriptures all around your house. Your children should know that this is not just something you're doing, but it's in your heart and you're doing what God says do. When you come into my house, I love the scriptures. And when you come into my house, if you go in either one of my bathroom bathrooms, there's going to be scripture verses. In my living room, in my bedroom, I have God's scripture around because that's so important to me that we get the word of God. Who knows my, who might come in? I have family members that are not saved, and they may come into my house and go in the bathroom and use the bathroom, and there the word of God is, and not speak to their heart because the word of God will change your life, won't it? But put scripture verses um, in your home. Have good books for your children to read that encourage them and teach them, that lift up the name of Jesus. Let them see you reading your Bible and praying. They should know that you have a private time with God. Your children should know, you know, if, if you're, they should know. And, and they do know if you do have. They do know. They may, they, they, or don't come in on your way, but they know. They know. I, I would dare say that if you were to ask Madeline, Olivia, or Victoria if their mama has a private time, they could tell you exactly what time it is and where she's at when the when she does. And I, um, you know, I shouldn't use, but they know, and your children should know that you have a private time. Let them see that. Included in this plan, of course, there should be praise. It's not all, um, bless God, it's going to be this way and this way, and you're not going out. But there should be praise and love. Remember in Titus chapter 2, he said, teach them to love their children. There should be praise and love and um, encouragement for them. When they do what's right, when they make a good grade on a test, when they're, uh, they're under a lot of pressure, uh, making good grades, getting through high school, getting through now nursing school, when they do, make, do good, when they've done good, 
encourage them and love them and reward them, take them out to eat or something. You know what they like to do. Encourage them. That should be included in your plan. But then quickly, number two, there must be a performance of the plan. We can have a plan all day long, but if we don't do it, what good are rules if you don't enforce them? In 2 Corinthians 8, 11, it says, Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. And I know better than anybody else in this room that that verse is talking about giving to missions because I've heard my husband preach on it 552 <laughs> times. And that was written to the church of Corinth because they had promised to take a mission offering up for the, the churches in Macedonia and had failed to send it. And he said, now, therefore, perform the doing of it. But I also know the scriptures can be applied as applicable. So we're applying it to us today. You've got a plan now. You and your husband have sat down and you've got a plan together. Now perform that plan. They tell me that teenagers, uh, children, that gives them security to know that their parents are going to enforce what they say they're going to do. The easy thing, the easy thing to do in raising teenagers is just to let them do what they want to do. You get weary. I remember those days. And the easier thing for us to have done would be to say, okay, just make yourself happy. Um, I've heard that. I've heard uh, parents say that. You know, if you want to dye your hair red, or that's not with red, it's not too thing. Purple, if you want to dye your hair green, just make yourself happy. If you want to wear your pants down below your hips, avoid, just make yourself happy. That's the, after a while, you, what's the use of fighting them? But no, you've got to execute, you've got to, there must be a performance of the plan. You've got to keep on and keep on at them. Um, and let me tell you, um, I don't think teenagers have changed this much over the last 25 years. The very best of teenagers will push you to the limit, to the very limit. I know um, when Rebecca was a teenager, we had a dress standard for her. And uh, her dresses had to come down to her knees. The thighs had to be covered. And um, she would push that. Just you now she now she is a pastor's wife today now, but I'm telling you, she was a normal teenager and she would push that. Uh, she would go when she got old enough and got her license and could go shopping on her own, you know, and uh, she would go and she'd bring home a dress and it would, oh, it was just right to and they'll push you, but you've got to perform the plan. And let me say this to you, those of you that have girls, teenage girls. If your husband tells your teenage daughter, you don't need to wear that, you listen to him because he's seeing her through the eyes of a man. And you may not see that much wrong with what she's got on because you're a girl, but you always 
if your husband says she does not need to wear that dress, then you take that dress off, you take it back to the store she got it from, or you take it to the Goodwill, don't leave it in the house for her to be tempted to sneak out. Now, she'll sneak it on and sneak out, and you won't even know, she'll put a coat on for it and go out, and you won't even know it until she's out and gone. But uh, you do what your husband says about that because he's seeing her through the eyes of a man, and you need to listen to that. Then number three, what is the purpose for having a plan and performing it? And I've given you some scriptures here, and uh, we'll not take time to read them all, but in Proverbs 13, 24, and this is, these verses are speaking about sparing the rod and all that, and I know that when t uh, teenagers, when your children get to be teenagers, it's hard to wear them out with a belt or uh, uh, a paddle or whatever. My mom used a belt, and my guess, of course, all of you know very well that goes to church here, that I wore Jonathan out with him. Because he tells me every time I'm here, he tells me how mean I was to him. <laughs> but it didn't ruin him too bad, did it? But, uh, and I realize that teenagers, teenage years, it's hard to do that. And so you've got to come up with other things. I used to, um, one thing I used to do, I used to make them write scriptures. I'd say, I would pick out a scripture, be sure your sins will find you out. And then I'd make them write it. I'd tell them, you got to write that a thousand times. And oh, oh, a thousand times. And, and I'd make them write it for a while. And then I'd say, you learned your lesson. And then I'd give them a little grace and say, that made me look like I was a good guy then. <laughs> but uh, take things away from them. Ground them or whatever, but the point is, you've got to follow through with your plan, and there's a reason for that. And Proverbs 30, 13 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The, the reason for that is to show your love, to let him know you love them. How many times I, have you heard your mom say, or you've heard say, This hurts me worse than you? I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. And, and, of course, as parents, we know they were telling the truth. And Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. He thinks he's going to. <laughs> thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. It is to deliver their soul from hell. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. <coughs> the reason you enforce the plan, the reason that you perform the plan is to give him wisdom, <coughs> to teach this child integrity. It's our responsibility <coughs> to teach them integrity and to teach them that if they don't follow the plan that God has, that there are, there are uh, prices to pay <coughs> for that. And then also to, to spare you shame. So the child left to himself will bring his <coughs> One time uh, after uh, our son Jonathan was, he was already out of school, was working, at a job, he had a full-time job, but he was still living in our home. Uh, Alan had planned a trip. He was uh, to go to Montana. 
to visit some missionary, missionary family. And at first, I had planned to go with him. Now, Jonathan was not just a little teenager. or He was actually a grown man. He's still living at our home. And I had planned to go with him until I read this verse. And it said, a, a, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And I said, nope. I ain't leaving him here by himself. He'll bring me to shame. So I did not go. I stayed. I stayed with him. And, you know, I'm glad that I did. So you need, that's the reason that you enforce these things. And then Exodus 20, uh, 12, verse <coughs> is the first commandment with promise. Honor thy father and thy mother that it may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The promise of long life. If you'll teach your children to honor and obey you, you're giving them a long life. And then the promise of having a plan and performing it, number four, is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I don't believe um, you say that first how can that first be when I know people that raise their children right and they are out in the world today? You know, we're not robots, and your children are not robots that God's going to make do right. But I believe, personally, I believe that verse is saying, the longest day that child lives, he'll never forget what you taught him as a child. And the scriptures, he'll always have that in his mind. So you do that knowing that, that what you put in there will stick to <coughs> him. And then number five, if we're going to survive the teenage years, if you're going to survive, you're going to have to pray, pray, pray. You're going to have to pray for your children, and you need to pray with your children. Praying with your children should be as natural as drawing a breath. When your child leaves the house, it should be just as natural for you to say, okay, let's, let's have a word of prayer before you go and pray with that child that God will protect them. When they're leaving and you know they've got a big test coming up, it should be just as natural as drawing a breath. You say, hey, before you go, let's pray and ask God to help you with that test today. Um, you should pray. Pray, pray. That's the only way we can survive, period, in this life. You shouldn't just have a prayer list, but you should have a prayer life. Praying should be so much a part of your life that you can't imagine life without prayer. There are some things that I pray for my children. I pray for my family. I pray for my, uh, my grandchildren today. One thing, of course, is to pray for their salvation. If they're not saved, you need to pray for that. I pray now. I, all of my grandchildren profess salvation, and I have no reason to believe that they're not saved. They give evidence of that. But now I've got five great-grandchildren, and I'm praying for them, that God will save them when they reach the knowledge of accountability. Little Israel is especially heavy on my heart because she... God has put her under conviction. She has been under conviction. The child has not known anything but church her whole life. And so she's been under conviction, but now Israel is a thinker. 
and she's trying to think this thing out. I think Olivia was that way, and Lydia was that way before they got saved. But I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for Ezekiel and Jana Ray and Chloe and Mary Pat, that God will save them when they reach the knowledge of accountability. So salvation is something you need to pray about for your children. Then I pray every day that God will put a hedge around our home and around our children and around our marriages. That's biblical praying. God put a hedge around Job. And I ask God, Lord, please put a hedge around our home and our children and our grandchildren. I pray every day that God will deliver us all from the evil influences of Satan, especially your teenagers are, are bombarded with evil on every hand. It's so present today. And you need to pray that God would deliver them from the evil influence. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my husband and our children and our, and our, our, our grandchildren. And that is a biblical prayer as well because in the model prayer that Jesus gave teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, 13, he said, And lead us not into temptation. And that means lead us in the opposite direction of temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's something you need to pray for your teenagers every day, for you, your family, but especially these teenage years, deliver us from evil. We need to pray for their safety every day. Your teenagers, some of them got driving license. And it adds a whole different aspect of praying to me when my grandchildren and my children got their driving license and especially now the highways are so oh mercy and I think about Madeline having to drive to Winston to do her clinicals at Forsyth in the Baptist Hospital and I just pray and pray that God will give her safety on the highway so we need to pray for their safety and we need to pray for God's perfect will for their lives your teenagers are going to be look, are thinking about a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever. You need to pray for God's perfect will for their life, for what they want to do in life. Uh, they want to be a nurse like Madeline or uh, whatever they, they think God wants for them. Uh, pray that God's perfect will in their life will be done. Pray that God will send them the mate that he will have for them. Because if they marry the wrong person, it's not only going to make their life miserable, it will make your life miserable. And you need to pray that God will send. When uh, uh, Jonathan was, uh, before he got married, of course I prayed for him. But how sweet of the Lord to give him Leslie. Because she not only is a godly wife, but she's a nutritionalist. <laughs> and my son Jonathan has had stomach issues all his life. And y'all know that he has problems with his stomach. And I wouldn't even begin to know how to cook for him like Leslie does. But see, Leslie knows because she's a nutritionist, she knows what he needs to take out of his, out of his menu, out of his food, to give him to keep his stomach working right. See, God did, God did that. 
And, it, and you've got to pray that God will send the right one. And when Rebecca was, a teen, I had a missionary that stayed. We had a mission house at Turner's Creek. And there was a young missionary couple that stayed in that little house for a week or two while they was in between places. And we had them over to our house and, and fed them. And the missionary uh, dad said they had two or three little children. He said, well... He said, um, I prayed that God would send me. I told the Lord I didn't want to date a dozen girls. He only had one girl for me, and I prayed that God would send me that girl, and I, and I would know who that was, and he said he did. So I never dated anybody. <coughs> I thought, that's, I like that idea. So I prayed that for Rebecca. Rebecca was uh, getting in the NHS. I said, Lord, you don't have but one man for her. And I just didn't tre uh, treasure the thought of ever Tom, Dick, and Harry coming to my house and wanting to take my daughter out on a date or something. And I prayed, God, you just got one man for her. And uh, she never really dated anybody but Jeremy. Now, there was a few times I thought maybe I'd pray to curse on her. I thought, we're not going to get through all this. <laughs> because even at the best, you're going to have, have problems. But um, you need to pray about who who they're going to marry, and and um, and uh, be sure that whoever they choose, you love that person too. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you say, because you may not like them, <laughs> but they may be the mother of your grandchildren one day, or they may be the the daddy of your grandchildren. So you need to you need to pray about a lot of things. You need to pray, pray, pray. I, I told you that I love the, the book that our pastor gave us on prayer, and one of the things I, I so enjoyed was about King Hezekiah, and I wrote this down in big letters over my prayer list that I pray on. It said that King Hezekiah would have died if he had not prayed. Uh, the prophet came to him and said, get your house in order, you're going to die. And Hezekiah turned toward the wall and asked the Lord to please give him more time. And God gave him 15 more years. He said the prophet had not gotten away from the house till God told him. He said, go back and tell King Hezekiah I'm going to give him 15 more years. And it was in the thoughts of, for that day that King Hezekiah would have died had he not prayed. So we need to pray. And then quickly, quickly, I know. I gave you some examples of mothers of um, parents and the word of God. <coughs> and I thought of the Syrophoenician woman. And you'll read about her in uh, Mark 7, also Matthew 15. She came to the Lord instead of her daughter. Her daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She's demon-possessed. And this mother came to the Lord. And get this picture. When she comes to the Lord, the disciples... Tell the Lord, send her away. I mean, like you coming into church and you're getting asking for help, and the deacons tell the pastor, send her away. She cries after us, send her away. But she didn't go. And then, on top of that, Jesus called her a dog. He, he read your, in, in Matthew 15, Jesus said, uh, the bread is for the children, not the dogs. And she said, yea, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. 
And she said these three words, Lord, help me. And God, because of her faith, not because the daughter came, but because of her faith, God touched her daughter and healed her. So we need to come to the Lord. And then Jairus, Jairus in uh, Matthew 9, he knew the only hope for his daughter was to get to Jesus. She was too sick to go. And so he went to Jesus in her stead. And you know the story how when Jesus got there, she was already dead. But Jesus raised her from the dead. And Jesus has the power to do that. I thought of Jochebed in Exodus chapter 2. How that despite the king's command, the king had demanded that all the little boy babies born be put to death. She hid Moses and she saved her son. And in doing so, she saved a nation. She not only saved her son, but she saved a nation. Who knows what plans God has for your child. So you need to put them big girl panties on and be ready to fight for them. I thought about the prodigal son in Luke 15 when the son asked for his inheritance and the father gave it to him. The father did not go out into the world looking for him. He did not go out into the world looking for him, but he kept the door open. And your door should always be open for your children. He, when he saw him, a great, he was looking for him because the Bible said when he saw him a great way off, he ran to meet him. He hugged and he kissed him. And he had the fatted calf killed. Now to me that's saying he didn't tell the servants, go get a calf and kill it. He said, go kill the fatted calf. I think the day that boy left, his daddy put a calf up to start fattening it because he anticipated this boy's coming home. I'll never stop believing that he's coming home. He said, go kill the fatted calf. He never gave up on his son coming home. I know that I have not been faced with some things that some parents have been faced with in life. And I thought to myself, what would you do if you were faced with some of the things that that some kids are doing today. I, 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 but I know within my heart I've never found a place to give up on my children. I keep praying for them. I'm going to leave the door open and, and, and know, let them know that I love them. And uh, there are things that I know that I would not tolerate in my home, but uh, I never give up on them. I never quit praying for them. I, when we were in missions, there was a missionary uh, friend that we had said that he knew another missionary and his son, this other missionary's son had, he was drinking, I guess, but anyhow, he, he killed another man. And so this missionary's son was in prison for life. And so the missionary that, that we knew said he went to see him in prison because he knew that he was there and he was in that town and he went to prison to see him and said he asked him just like you how's your mom and dad doing and he said that boy said my mom and daddy said they don't have a son anymore he said they say they have disowned me I am not their child and he said that boy said that with tears and I thought 
how do you do that? I mean, I, I've never found a place that I thought I could give up on my children. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do the exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And then I thought of Rispa. And I'm sure you all know, or I hope you all know the story, but you can read it when you get home with 2 Samuel 3, 7, then 21, 18, um, 8 through 14. Rizpah was one of Saul's concubines, one of King Saul's concubines, and she had two sons by him. When Saul was king, he became very arrogant and prideful, and uh, he broke an oath that Joshua had made with the Gibeonites. After Saul died, there was a severe famine in the land, and David was divinely informed by God that Saul was the reason for that because he broke that oath with the Gibeonites. By way of compensation, the Gibeonites said they wanted seven of Saul's sons to be slain and hung up on a tree. So that's what, that's what David did. Two of the seven of Saul's sons was Rizpah's sons, and they slew them and hung them up on a tree for everybody to see. And Rizpah took sackcloth and laid it un under the bodies of her dead sons and fought off the vultures and the birds until the famine was lifted. And when the famine was lifted, David took those bodies down and went and got King Saul's body and Jonathan's and buried them all together. Now, Rispa has been, <clears throat> has been uh, said, and when you read anything about Rispa in commentaries, they will say what a wonderful mother she was, and she was. She was devoted and faithful to her boys to keep the vultures off of their dead bodies, and she was. But what I want to say to you is, her boys are dead. Mm -hmm. She's fighting the vultures off of dead bodies. Your teenagers are living. Mm -hmm. Should you not fight the vultures off of them? Yes. Don't wait till they die. Mm -hmm. Don't wait till they're so far out in sin yes. that you don't see a way to get them back in. Yes. Fight for them. Fight for them. Fight for your children. I don't have a lot of earthly possessions in this world, but I'm telling you, I will fight for my children because God gave them to me. They're my heritage. They're the reward of the womb that God has rewarded me with. He has given me an awesome responsibility, and, uh, and he has you. And these years, these teenage years are so critical so critical that they see a true relationship in your life between you and God. That they see that you and their daddy are together on this and that you're working together. The greatest gift you'll ever give your child, your teenager, your child, is to let them know that you love their daddy. And that you love him and that you love each other and you together. You're not going to be bickering and fighting. Uh, I think she ought to be able to do this or I think he ought to be able to go 
here and argue with, no, you're on the same page, you're going to love them, and uh, you're going to fight for your children. They're worth it. They're our heritage.